Hello, Radioland, Podcastville, and all the ships at sea. My name is Seth Greenland, and you are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported Los Angeles Review of Books. Today on our show, actress, author, playwright, and one of my favorite Los Angeles radio personalities, Sandra Singh Lowe, stops by the studio to talk about the joys of menopause and her new play, Mad Woman in the Volvo. Joining me are my usual co-hosts. She is the fiction editor of LARB. And Lori, you just got a book deal. I did. I sold my book on Oscar Hammerstein that I've been working on since I was six years old. And my other co-host, he is the founding editor of LARB, the professor, Tom Lutz. Hello, Tom. Hey, Seth. Tom, you're having titled Surus, as the Jews yeah, say. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that later. In the All show. right, we're going to talk about uh, Tom's new book, and we're going to try to help him find a title for it. So, stick around for all that. If you don't know Sandra Singlow, you haven't been in Los Angeles for the last 20 years. She is an author, an actress, a playwright, a radio host, a contributor to The Atlantic. Welcome to the LARB Radio Hour. Well, thanks for having me. My almost, goodness. Almost. She's also pretty, although her <laughs> Bad hair, hair is day. not the best today. Hair for radio. Yeah. But th- thank you for that drunk girl, <laughs> drunk Lori Weiner you with are, bad eyesight. Love you. You are welcome. Yeah. I don't know my contact list. Yeah, no, you so uh, the bitch is back is the new show. It was happening at South Coast. <laughs> no, no. Wrong. the no. Mad Woman in the Volvo is the new show. Yes, yes. it's very confusing. Many menopause. I did that on purpose. <laughs> you did it. I know. I know you did. I know you. Did. I see what and you did there. That's so fun. That's so you know like jazz. But you just you just did it at South Coast, and it's happening in Pasadena. And yes. When are you opening with the show? Thank you for asking that. Uh, opening in June. I forget which day. And this show is actually the Mad Woman in the Volvo. It's confusing because I did a show at the Broad called The Bitches Back, which is a drunk cabaret show, stand-up thing. But The Mad Woman in the Volvo is a three-person play about three NPR-listening, nice married moms who, you know, grab their SPF Clinique 90 moisturizer and go to Burning Man for a 50th party. And party. Um, you don't play all three characters? No, I play one of the two characters. So is this three. your first actual play with more than one person? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, in my 20s, I tried to do a couple of plays here in Los Angeles, but with no budget, like the actors would disappear by the second performance out of four because they had an audition for a pilot <laughs> that they wouldn't get. So, and then, so it was like, well, I'll just do solo shows and then, then I can show up myself. So it was kind of, it was exigency that led to the solo form. And I would think for for someone who's a monologist, it would have been such... Oh, nice. Monologist? I nice. would say monologist. Yeah. Monologist. Wouldn't, was, it, was it an incredible relief to have two other people to bounce off of? Yes, it's such a relief. And they're so funny. It's like Caroline Aaron and Shannon Holt, that, that when you see them, which you will, they're just, I like to say, like, it's, it's sort of a three-women play, but it's like we're three men, if you if that makes any sense. So, like, they play men and drunk men and women and children. Children and, and older yeah. So and it's kind of like people. there's that kind of, like, all-male Shakespeare company, which is all-female. It's, it's funny. It's kind of disgusting. Also, the play has <laughs> a lot of range and a lot of modulation, and it's a real play. And it's... I mean, not that your other stuff wasn't a real yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were a monologist or a, how did you pronounce it? Mono- I said very pretentiously, monologist. 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 Yeah. That sounds it, like what's the, what's the disgusting part? 
of the disgusting. Well, I think it like and and Laurie seen the play, so I initially wanted to be the memoir was based on you know sort of America's best friend, where it's kind of like you know I'm just a suburban mom next door and I'm having hot flashes in the last five pages ago. And I went to Burning Man and had an affair, so I've been living there. But you know, like me, so you kind of try to bury that stuff in there because you know America doesn't like married moms who have extramarital affairs and break up their families. They only liked in Bridges of Madison County where she was conveniently dead for 20 years when it started and she never left her family. So, but in this case, it's kind of like in theater and you know, like Lori, like theater is supposed to go deeper, go to those dangerous places where we don't like to go. So I end up, you know, kind of after I've blown up my marriage at Burning Man, I'm alone and living in a tiny, disgusting 750 square foot like shack and like and so I start going and I was like really lonely and embittered and sad because I had an affair and then he went back home to his family and now I'm approaching 50 and I'm single and alone and humiliated and I wrote this piece in the Atlantic about marriage and everyone said what a sad woman like get her out of the Atlantic you know and, and our subs there's all, everyone's always revoking their subscriptions when myself or Caitlin Flanagan or so it's like I will never what a piece of trash the Atlantic has become so you can end up though on the play like going to a you divorced parent drunken conga line party and going woo this is great look at all these divorced parents we were just gonna have fun now because we're more free because our kids go back and forth and it's gonna be great everyone gets drunk and sad and starts humping each other in the conga line so what I said is disgusting <laughs> I mean my two actresses are actually like humping like a man and female it's really disgusting and the audience seems to enjoy it and in the play the character of you is called Sandra unfortunately so, yes so so, let, so let's talk about likeability and, oh, and, and what it's like to put yourself snap. out there okay. and, and, and the real Sandra versus theater Sandra. You know, the way Louis does the show. Yeah. And he's Louis C.K. when he's not doing the show. And on the show, he's Louis, who is he's similar to the actual Louis, but not the actual, he's not the real Louis. Right. What's, how is it with you? What is it, how does that work? Well, I think this play was particularly challenging on that because we're going, okay, so we're going into Orange County, Costa Mesa, a South Coast represents a lot, like long history. And I'm going to tell these people that I am married to a nice man and I went to Burning Man and I had an affair and then I my children went back and forth at the hometown. It was a terrible story. And mm -hmm. so at first they thought, are people going to kind of leave at the beginning? Like, <laughs> it's like too much. Like, so, but they didn't. And I, But I think there's a certain way of telling it where you are sort of implicating yourself as you go. And my character does get her comeuppance fairly quickly. And then also there's a second story that I tell that I like that is totally just when you think, I think when a woman has an extramarital affair, you think then she's going to say, but you know what? My marriage is so bad. Like me, these are things my husband did. This is how great this guy is. This is how great my new life is going to be. Women unite our bodies ourselves. But I don't make that kind of argument like, uh -huh. like, at all. Like at all. It but, goes yeah. straight to shit. Yeah. But Can it's I not, say that? Yeah. In the yeah. It's not quite the, the classic American. American literary version, right? No. Where, 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 or the classic literary version in general, like the, uh, the Kate Chopin's *The Awakening* right. or, or *Anna Karenina*, right. where where you end up, you have to end up dead. Right. But uh, back to back to likability. How okay. much how much is that in your radar when you're doing a piece like this? Well, the thing is, when you're in an audience, then you can really sense it in a way that you can't on a book. So you can really you can really hear when they're silent, mm -hmm. hear when the laughter is uncomfortable, and then sometimes if you you know after I say I realize at Burning Man that I'm in 
in love with my best friend of 10 years who's driven us there. And, you know, and we hug for a moment and it should be fine. But the rest of our party magically goes away. So here he and I are left in an RV full of vodka, cigarettes, mushrooms, you know, (laughs) mescaline to drive home alone after a sandstorm where there's no cell phone reception. So you almost couldn't invent. And in fact, I remember this is, I don't know, like the truth because I'm drinking what Lori's here. We actually parked at Pea Soup Anderson's on the way back. Oh my God. Like, I... We can only spend cash because no one need find the money. I mean, it was awful. I mean, it was just really some of the most sordid stuff you'll do. But I will also say, and I were going back to likability, which I'm destroying by doing this very show. I, you know, I hate to say it, but an extramarital affair will be the most fun you'll ever have in your life. I hate to say it. I hate to say it a lot, but it's true. I mean, it's also the worst thing that you'll ever do, but just there's some moments that are just these exquisite snatched away from your family moments. I remember like standing over the cat box and changing it. And and in this high voice, I go, so I'm just going out to a reading this evening back by 10 and I'm of course toward, totally ignored by my family because I'm in that mommy pitch of they don't care if I come or go anyway so you've seized that moment for yourself so I think that's what really extramarital affairs are about and that was the amazing thing of finally having a crush on someone the same and we talked about in the play the same crushy middle school thing oh my god he's a football player but somebody is like bringing it back to you and, and you have cash and you, you have a visa card and you can drive a car This is Seth Greenland. I'm here with Tom Lutz and Lori Weiner, and we are talking to Sandra Singh Lowe on KPFK 90.7, the LARB Radio Hour. Just for the audience's sake, Seth and I just are look kind of stricken right now. <laughs> there's a glaze there? it's kind of like it's just sort of an unlikability well, and I'm, I don't even know where we Sandra are because Sandra and I are that. so excited yeah. no, I'm, we're I'm so a, drunk yes. well we're I'm so obsessed drunk. with the idea of likability because yeah. I think it's such a it's such an American thing yeah. you know you get there's so much pressure if you're doing anything where you're asking people to give you money and someone else is putting up money whether it's a producer whether it's a publisher likability is a really big factor and I think funny excuses so much yeah but Behaviorally. On, but on the other it? hand, yeah. you know, like you've pointed out earlier, there's no misogyny out there. So you don't have to worry. About, I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, people hate women for doing things like that with, yeah. with, with with such a passion because it upsets the social order in a way that when a man does it, it still upsets the social order and people get upset about it. But there's something attached to women doing it that's well, beyond the pale. Yeah, and I think audiences are really different. So, for instance, the Atlantic, you know, comments are horrible when you write about stuff, and then it goes in the Wall Street Journal. Essence, it, it's like, bleh, yeah, you know, and, and so people haven't even read it, and they just like, oh, I just hate her name. What a slut! Or you know, <laughs> can we have things bleeped out later? Yeah, yes. Don't worry about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> you know, what a bitch! What yeah. a cunt! And it's just like that's such a cunty name. Like it's just yeah. like horrific. Yeah. Then when you go on public radio, though. It's a little bit different. I'd done a show with Michael Krasny Forum in San Francisco, uh-huh. and men would call and really, they go, you know what? If I went to Burning Man and had an affair, I wouldn't get to write a memoir about it. There, I wouldn't be on Michael Krasny's show. There's no, that, wow, that was, wow, you know, a wow. certain, yeah. Yeah, in a nice NPR <laughs> landscape. But then in theater, it's kind of different because men who are in theater are already the soft, pillowy, lovely, they, if they aren't the drag along, so they respond. But, but also, it is, But yeah. we go to the theater to 
to to talk about the truth. Yes. I yes. mean, yes. when it's good theater. Yes. And that's yes. what one expects at the theater. So I think yes. it's not a... Right. The context is right. is good context right. for it. But I think you're right. Overall in America, just the notion of mother yeah, the the and it's been said a lot, but the sort of the mother cult of like and I love even in like Ziploc bags, it's making sandwiches for my daughter a rare occasion. It's like leave little notes for your children and everyone who you're making lunch with in your Ziploc bags and you can have a banana and write with a toothpick and a message and then the secret message will come alive by noon due to oxidation of the skin. It's like like what what the fuck? You know, I like, like, really, really, really. Yeah. What the? Uh, you know, and I go, I go, and then I go. They didn't write a message. Just like, like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. Why does this banana say I hate my life? <laughs> is there a god? <laughs> Where's my crack? Yeah, yeah. But you, you were part of my introduction to Los Angeles. That is, I got, I got here and I started hearing you on the radio and you taught me about LA. And part of your persona right from the start, it seems to me, was I kind of don't care what you think. I'm just going to go ahead and say what's happening in my life. Yeah. And if it sounds bratty to you, I don't care. If it sounds over entitled to you, I don't care. If it sounds too risque to you, I don't care. And that was part of the fun of listening to you was that kind of, you know, take it or leave it. Here I am. Yeah, uh, and that's why I got fired by KCRW in 2004 <laughs> went a little little too far. But yeah. yeah. Well, but that's, but, I mean, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, you, you said a bad word on the air and you were not bleeps, which wasn't your fault. I said fuck. Yeah. But like that wasn't your fault. Yeah. So there were other issues going on. I assume. Shall we? I guess it's enough time passed after that. Sure. But, I mean, I think that, okay, it, like if it's a little bit of, and you can put a little like the Ruth Seymour or Ruth Hirschman, there's always a cult of us who always want to just hear about her. And I, I think she was like a brilliant, brilliant radio, you know, uh, programmer, auteur, whatever she did. And she kind of ran her own ship and she kind of like invited people along. Like she says, Sandra, we were at Buzz Magazine, we were all reading our columns aloud. And then she's like, Sandra, I want you to do once a week. And what? Just whatever you do. Bye. And so it was like the first time I wrote a column, I, I sent it right. Is this okay? And nobody responded. So seven years later. So you had to figure yeah, it all so, out yourself. So, but once I said I was pregnant on the air, they got actually a bunch of mail to Casey Ardell saying, oh no, I thought you were the cosmopolitan swilling fun girl. Now you're becoming so conventional and you're a mom and it's going to be going all breastfeeding and Kathy Lee on. It's like, so there was a moment of like, wait a minute. Casey Ardell was like the hip place of the cool black and blue. And now you're going, oh, it's baby. Maybe. So there's a little bit of that, but I think it just my brand Sex wasn't like world. wasn't quite the the brand, and then this came in. It was but but when you left close to the time that Joe Frank also yes. left, oh, and yes. so that she lost her two biggest yes. talents. Yes, oh, was <laughs> suspicious. There was something wrong there. Uh, I think. I mean, she had the sense to hire both of you, but yeah. that was a very strange turn. Yeah, yeah. Michael Silverblood is writing an angry oh, letter to you right now. Exa- oh, no, no, no. Two, two of three. Is Art Talk yes. still on? I love oh, Art Talk. God. I love Art Talk. No. No, and, no, and the one thing, and I'm very fond of Joe Frank, and we did commiserate through the time. And I mean, it's just the way of, it's the way of radio. I can't like fault it. I mean, it's just we are all sort of gypsies and survivors and ready to be kicked to the street at any point. And it's a badge of honor after a certain point, isn't it? It can be. It can't for the first few minutes. And then it's kind of like, <laughs> whoa, where am I going? Yeah. But I think to your point, Tom, I mean, I think it's it, it sort of varies. You are playing with the light and dark. And I think something about being too entitled is a little bit of a thing that always sticks with me a little bit because I know that I am even to be a writer and not have to be anywhere during most of the week. We're all kind of spoiled 
where we are. Um, but I think age has also been something interesting where I remember when I was turning 36, and that's part of a year in Van Nuys of like, oh my God, I'm turning 36. That's considered dead. And like my age would say, say you're 32. There's a whole big thing about turning 36. And like now I'm 54. I like, I think I'm really young now compared to where I was then. But the taboo of saying mm-hmm. your age. So that's why it's ironic in this journey. At the time I had sort of TV deals that all went the way of the whatever, because I was too haggardly old at 36. And then I got my eye bags done, which I've never regretted. Um, and oh, got my teeth straight. I, like, I want to get yeah, a number from I, you. I know. <laughs> but then, but now I can't see very well in the, so I don't do anything. So, and, and here I am with the bad hair. But I think that um, there's something about age was funny where I felt my um, stuff was really closing down then. And now it's ironic. It's so ironic. And even after I've been off stage for 10 years that I have two menopause lady plays that are really different and they're playing and all these things. I mean, it's kind of surreal. This is Seth Greenland. I'm here with Tom Lutz and Lori Weiner, and we are talking to Sandra Singh Lowe on KPFK 90.7, the LARB Radio Hour. I think a lot of people are unaware that you were a physics major at Caltech. Yeah. And uh, you're a remarkably natural stage performer. I'm, I'm guessing you came at uh, writing for the stage through writing rather than performing, right? Yeah, yeah. Talk about your transition from from writing to performing, and what made you want to get on stage? Did you have any background in in performing? No, and I would say if I seem natural now, it's only because I've been doing it like for thirty years because it didn't start <laughs> like that. Um, so I think um, the writing, you know, at first I tried just writing plays because my dream was to be a playwright, but just holding these productions together. And when the actor is not quite of the first word and not not quite doing it the way that you see, and if you're writing a comedy and you are just saying, but you just boom, and they ha- they speak too slowly, that can be really frustrating. So it was around the mid '90s where there's a lot of multicultural solo performance. If some of you may remember that came in. So I go, this is the way to go. I, I was a pianist at the time. So I was a physics major and a comp- composer and a pianist. So I started doing these like piano logs or I'd play these pieces, but no one understood my method of composition. So I'd explain what I was thinking when I wrote it. People say, well, actually, your explanation is more entertaining than the piece. You know, move away from the piano. So I was like really struggling. It was like a Victor Borga on acid act. And I was doing it for gay people in Chaps in West Hollywood. And I couldn't get into it. And there's a lot of Asian American women's theater festivals that I could never get in because I was half Asian so that was the problem and I wasn't doing the Amy Tan narrative of I'm dating a white guy and then I said fuck him and then I go to China and I stand at my grandmother's grave and the crickets are going and then I had a dream about a ghost or something I mean I like it did not fit in that at all because I thought my father was the weirdo the eccentric Chinese man who's just an asshole he's just a pain but you don't tell the story from there so I think I started then doing these monologues and then I finally fixed on my my father's Chinese wise because I go, I cannot get into this Asian America. So I wrote that story, which was about my father actually write, marrying these Chinese mail order brides in a row. And then that was a story that kind of enabled me to build a piece and then go from there. But then it sort of went away because the market was saturated. So I just kind of like went from piece to piece. I would write a radio piece, then a book, then a play. It sort of 
And in theater, you you worked with one director for a long time, right? David Schweitzer. Yeah, David Schweitzer. How did how did he shape you as a performer? Do you think that's actually a great question that that I love to tell. So my father's Chinese wise was the story about my father, who is quite a character. You know, he he kind of like does naked handstands on the Malibu beach and hitchhikes. And he's like the eccentric in the neighborhood with the parrot on the shoulder and the shopping cart, except he's in Malibu West. So I first had a straight male director. God bless him. I love him. But, you know, straight male directors aren't always like known for whatever. So, (laughs) so, and it was at the political correctness thing. So when I did my dad, I sort of, did him in a slight British accent because you didn't want to, oh, Sandra, I don't know what you, da, 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 da. you couldn't do that, you know, because like, oh no, Sandra, you know, kind of. So then when David Schweitzer took over in second stage, so he's a rather gay, flamboyant character. And I mean, like Leopard Scar, you know, David. I mean, it's like, it's like, he, you know, balls to the wall, you know, gay, gayness of a certain kind. So first of all, he said, well, make him talk like that because that's more fun. <laughs> and then my mother kind of like be, became this really kind of, um, you know, a young Frankenstein. Oh, but you, Frau Blecher. Woo! So she became a German because she is German. And then he directed it. I, th- I think you saw it was kind of like where the open, the set is a Jasper John's American flag done in white Chinese takeout boxes. And in the middle is a pagoda made out of rice paper that I kick out with my boot. And when I arrive, there's a gong. So it's <laughs> It's just like completely, and it worked. I mean, you know, that's where you go. And did did his gayness give him license to do that? Would a straight guy have been slammed? For- I, well, perhaps if you're gay and you're a gay director and you're uh, you've been beyond the edge, so perhaps like Laurie Lori is like going, mm, but but I think I think if you're, I mean, it's just personality and sort sort of. I mean, some gay directors can be sort of in their direction. It was just what he did. He really likes a three ring circus. He what, oh god, right? yes, he, he really. You know, does he should have a, like a top hat and a whip? He and really and, does, and he <laughs> has a lot of energy, and he can really energize things that would otherwise be moribund. Yeah, but you have a lot of energy. Yeah, so you know there that combination did it. Well, I think there's that, and I think in solo performance, you know, when you begin, and when you said in my intro, I'm an actress, I got, and then you said monologist or however you said the word, I'll never <laughs> be able to recreate it. I think I probably am more of a monologist because I'm I'm sort of a bad actress. That I mean, I've done one episode of The Office. It's like about. 20 seconds long. So because I'm the sort of performer that when you're talking, the other person's doing dialogue, I'm looking at them to finish talking so I can talk. Like, like the whole reacting? What? <laughs> so I'm not... But and, and so when you go, I had worked with another director who said, your arm movements are really random. You squinch up your face too much and your enunciation isn't... You say bad sex with Bud Kemp. Really enunciate Bud Kemp. Like, it's kind of like because he was a Broadway musical director, it's just I was an author awful, undisciplined performer, but it's a little bit like solo performance. People don't rush to the theater because you have really great acting technique. I sort of equate it to Bob Dylan. Okay, is he the most amazing singer in the world? Maybe technically not, but he's that person. So David will watch a performer for a long time and then just give little direct, so you don't feel self-conscious, and that enables you to burst into your thing, you know, with certain moments where you have to stand in your light and do the accent you need to. Okay, well, enough enough about you, Sandra. Okay, back to you. Back <laughs> I, to I, I love your titles. I love uh, I love Depth Takes a Holiday. I love Mad Woman and Volvo. I love A Year in Van Nuys. Um, I just, when I saw that je- book jacket copy, I just cracked up. Oh, and that came out, we should say, right, right around at, the year yeah, of A Year, a year in, in Provence, Provence was so popular. Yes, and yeah, so A Year in Provence, why it was so funny. Van Nuys, yes. Right. And I have to title a book today. Okay. 
it's I was supposed to title it on Friday, and I and well, I. Well, this and is I exciting radio. So I, right I, I, I want you to give me a title for my book. It's a travel book. Okay, yeah. so I'm thinking so, of three three categories of titles. I don't okay. know it yet. Yeah. Okay, so there is a book by I think it's Cash Peters called sort of like Naked and Dangerous Places or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the startling something in that theme of or if you had food poisoning somewhere or if there's a memorable moment of a guy in Myanmar who just gave you a shoe or something and that becomes the metaphor for the whole thing right well okay. yeah that you had what was tell, the, mon- tell what was the monkey that one? title you're thinking about the monkey and yeah. the monkey learned nothing and oh monkey and the monkey learned nothing now, why can i remember I the title and yeah i think that's kind of cool. cool i think yeah. that's cool. but before i get my train of yeah, thought i'm yeah. about to and then we'll go right. back to the yeah. categories yeah. i think there's another category i'm thinking of like pam houston i think did a memoir yeah. about like was, i think Concept. it was called 150 reasons not to die or something and then the publisher had her change it i think to contents may have shifted right. which is a great title. which is a great shift although it seems a little like that may be too much of a dreamscape for the mon- maybe the monkey is a grittier place know. to go. I do, I do like <coughs> contents may have shifted, right? Because it's about what what happens when you travel. I mean, that, what, that your but content, you can't use feel. Little, right? You can't use that. <laughs> She's not that drunk. Don't, not don't get yet. attached. <laughs> but I think. But okay, is that the journey so that was, of your book? Like, do you learn something at the I end? I try Tom? not to. You try not to. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I have two two okay. more ideas of categories. Are right. not exactly titles. Mm-hmm. If like all the travel language that we use, either frequent flyer miles or the peanuts or the carry-on baggage. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if the carry-on baggage, if the notion uh-huh. of baggage, like emotional bag, like, uh, And then like the it, fourth yeah. category might be Tomness. Do you want to have Tom in the title? Probably I can't do Tomness, no. No Tomness. No, 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 no the Tao of Tom. Well, the Mad Woman and the Volvo works very well because it Fantastic. evokes something. A lot of people don't know quite what. How did you come up with that? Oh, title? well, <clears throat> that's another good story. I mean, it was originally titled like Menapalooza. With an exclamation point. Because then the whole point is like, Gen X women are now into menopause and Courtney Love is menopausal. What's that going to be like? Well, uh, like Courtney Love before menopause. But um, Menopalooza. But the Norton people kept like telling it to people and they go, what is that? So I had to come up with a second set of titles. So I go, how about Angry Birds? See? You know, uh, no. How about There Won't Be Blood? <laughs> you know, like, like, see? I mean, it's good, but they would kept like, like going, no, 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 you know. But you did want to do not like hot flash. There's some more con- conventional, like hot flashes and stuff like that. So Jill Bielowski, my great editor at Norton, she, she's great, even though I'm not writing the book. That, well, I, never, I didn't mean to bring that up. So she said something with madness in the title. We like madness. So I, say, so I go, or, or so I go, well, the madness. Woman in the attic of the man with a and then I go, Well, the mad woman on the freeway, or it's like the but the mad woman, the Volvo. So, the Volvo to me was the soccer mom car, you know, from the Al Gore days or whatever. The soccer, so I so we tried that one, and and my partner said. Boy, that's not a money title. <laughs> so when Lauren, like, like when Lauren's going, no, 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 like, like, like yeah, it's not a money title. So yeah. I don't know, but it, it seems right. to have taken on more of its that you know what it is. But Sandra, will you come back and talk to us again when your play is opening? Yes, absolutely. And when I have another book to title? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right, it's uh, the Mad Woman in the Volvo. Yes, I got the title right that time, <laughs> and it opens in June in what theater? The Pasadena Playhouse. All right, Sandra, very exciting. Yeah. Th- thanks for coming to the Larbra. Hour. My pleasure. Have Thanks. me back. Thanks to Sandra Singh Lowe. Thanks to our producer and moral conscience, Jerry Gorin, our crack production assistant, Ernesto Orleano, 
spiritual advisor Aviva de Kornfeld. We couldn't do this show without the generosity of the Goldhirsch Foundation, and as usual, we would like to thank them. Find us on the web. Lori, do you want to thank the Goldhirsch Foundation? I, I'm not in the mood to right now. Yeah, never mind them. Find us on the web at www.lareviewofbooks.org. Download us on iTunes. Better yet, give us a rating. You know what? I don't care if you give us a rating. For Tom Lutz and Lori Weiner, this is Seth Greenland. Lori, will you be back next week? I will. Will Tom, you? I will, Tom. Yeah. See you then. <laughs>